Hello and welcome to 10 by 9 where 9 people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. Started by Potagotuma and me, Paul Doran, in Belfast in 2011. And this is the 10 by 9 podcast. We've three stories, or maybe two and a half really, on this podcast, but no matter, they're great. First up is 10 by 9 regular Jim Livingston. Now, there was a technical problem which meant we lost part of the first half of the story about a neighbour caught in a hotel in Scotland with the woman he shouldn't have been with. So that will explain the reference Jim makes at the start of the story. I hope that makes sense. The theme this night was shock. Take it away, Jim. I've had a few shocks in my time, though I hasten to have never in a Scottish Highland hotel with a woman who wasn't my wife. But one memory that still makes me shiver happened in France over 30 years ago. When my four children were still at primary school, our summer holidays every year were spent touring in a caravan, most often in France, our favourite foreign country. On occasion, we'd meet up with other relatives and friends who were also caravanners in different parts of the country. It was always great fun. We all grew to love France, its people, its countryside, its food, and for us adults, especially its wine. When my brother-in-law John and I met up, We particularly liked to sample local wines and liqueurs. One day, while in Normandy, we visited a beautiful vineyard and distillery while the families frolicked in the playground and swimming pool at the campsite. We later returned with quite a few bottles, and after dinner, having got all the kids to bed, we started our customary evening card game, which carried well on into the night. We consumed several bottles of red wine and one whole bottle of Calvaris liqueur. Not a combination to be recommended, believe me. (laughs) Eventually the card game ended and we fell into our respective beds in our caravans, fortunately, both quite drunk, but very, very happy. The next morning we both awoke with horrendous hangovers. I knew better than to complain to my adoring wife. The kids, my four and John's three, as usual, we're screaming and shouting, kicking footballs, fighting over toys, crying after falls, singing far too bloody loudly. It was a hangover nightmare. John called me over. I need to get some cash in the bank. Do you want to come? I jumped at the chance to get away from the painful mayhem. <laughs> we headed for the nearest bank. In those days, credit cards were rare and ATM machines hadn't been invented. The main way of getting cash was with a traveller's cheque. The bank was in a tiny fishing village about five miles away. We drove in soothing silence down the country road, never uttering a word. We queued in silence and quietly got our cash. Then John whispered, You know, what we need is a hair of the dog. Do you fancy a cold beer? I immediately agreed with excited enthusiasm. Oh, yes. We walked across the road, up to a wee bar on the corner of the street, overlooking the small picturesque harbour, in which a collection of fishing boats were moored. There were tables and chairs on the pavement outside. The setting was just idyllic. We were served two magnificent glasses of cold lager by the lone barman. There was nobody else there. As we sat sipping the beer on that beautiful sunny day, Looking out to sea, feeling the cold liquid ease our headaches. The silence was beautiful, apart from some distant music we could hear 
from somewhere in the town centre, I thought. We didn't speak, but simply savoured that precious moment of peace and quiet, away from the noisy campsite and noisy families. And then suddenly it was there, right in front of us, on the road. I turned to John. He turned back at me wide-eyed and then looked back at the road. I think we both had the same thought. What the? Am I seeing things? This can't be real. It must be the booze. Never again, I think we both simultaneously muttered. We were looking at a large, bloody, bloody large elephant. <laughs> it had just ambled around the corner and was now standing in the road just 20 feet in front of us, waving its trunk wildly, trumpeting loudly, and clearly quite distressed. We were in a small fishing port in Normandy, France, looking at an elephant for God's sake. Shocked. Our hearts were pounding. We could hardly breathe. We were wetting ourselves in terror. Then we heard growing noise from around the corner. It was shouting and music. Seconds later, we saw the clowns, the jugglers and acrobats. It was a bloody circus parade advertising its arrival in town. We both breathed a sigh of relief. The elephant had wandered away ahead of the parade. At last, a rational explanation. We hadn't lost our minds after all. More importantly, we realised it wasn't the drink. What a relief. <laughs> Cheers. How could you not know, Jim, everywhere you go is a bloody circus. <laughs> and thank God for it, because we get the stories at 10 by 9. Uh, thanks, Jim. A delight, as always. And if you want to know more about 10 by 9, and who wouldn't, check out our website, 10 by 9com There's plenty of info there, including all our 2022 dates, both at the Black Box and a few other surprises. OK, let's go to our November evening, when the theme was full. And this comes from Darius Whelan, who came all the way from Cork to tell it. Growing up in Limerick in the 1970s, life was a little bit dull. Limerick was a city for novenas and rosaries. My parents insisted on mass attendance, including dressing up for mass, which was a big thing. We wore our best clothes to mass and shoes would need to be well polished on a Sunday morning. I took Catholicism very seriously. I was a diligent altar boy every Sunday I made a pledge at the altar in front of my classmates not to drink alcohol until I was 18. I was very impressed by Matt Talbot, who was a believer in hair shirts and other forms of mortification of the flesh. I sang in the folk group, and I went to Teze masses. I seriously considered becoming a Christian brother or a priest. My mother's uncle had been a bishop in Australia, and my mother said, if I became a priest, I would receive a gift of his ring. There was a huge photograph of a painting of Uncle John, the bishop, in the house, and he was an almost saint-like presence, keeping an eye out for misbehavior. <laughs> <laughs> the version of Christianity we grew up with was very rigid and had very clear ideas about condemning sinners and non-believers. There was little room for comedy or foolishness. 
The stakes were high. If you were a sinner, you would be in hell for all eternity. So you couldn't be wasting time joking around when you should be concentrating on your prayers. I had my doubts about my father's devotion, though, because he was a bit too keen on the jokes. He had a great memory, so he remembered every single joke he had ever been told. And he wouldn't be slow to tell you a joke, either. His eyes had a special sparkle when he was telling a joke, and those sparkling eyes were definitely the window to his soul. He played lots of poker, and I'm not sure if Uncle John the Bishop would have approved of that. My mother certainly had misgivings about it. She was a lot quieter than my father. On one level, she was devoted to him and saw him very much as her rock. She had had a traumatic childhood and he helped her to move on from that. On another level, she didn't really like his gregariousness and his joke telling. She would say to us, Daddy talks too much and he tells everybody everything. That wouldn't be me now. <laughs> she disapproved of his excessive poker playing. As a protest, she went on strike, and she refused to make rhubarb tarts when there was a poker session in our house. <laughs> My father's response was very pragmatic. He paid me two pounds to make rhubarb tarts every time the poker night was on. It was intriguing as a child to deliver the food and pots of tea into the smoke-filled room, which had a very adult atmosphere, with piles of 10 pound notes in the middle of the table. On other nights, the television in the corner was a window to another world, a world of fun, excitement, and travel outside Limerick. We became huge fans of comedy shows and sitcoms such as I Love Lucy, The Odd Couple, Benny Hill, and The Good Life. We often watched the shows together as a whole family, and it was a marvelous shared experience as we spent long hours laughing together and escaping from the dullness of everyday life. We were amazed when our parents laughed at jokes which were slightly risque, as the official line was that they knew nothing about that sort of thing. <laughs> My mother was a bit quieter in her responses, but she definitely enjoyed the shows. It was almost as if she was trying to hide her enjoyment for fear of being caught having too much fun. <laughs> These TV viewing sessions also led to general conversations within the family, whether about the content of the show or about anything else, which is something that can be lost today when people are watching on separate screens in different rooms. Our bungalow was open plan, with the sitting room and dining room occupying one very large space. The area was so large that there were two doors into it, one into the sitting room at part and one into the dining room. My siblings and I worked out that we could take advantage of this unique room design. After we'd been sent to bed around nine o'clock, we could creep back into the sitting room through the separate door without being seen. We'd heard a lot about the show MASH, a comedy drama set in a US Army mobile medical hospital in Korea. We couldn't watch it as it was on a school night at 10 p.m. Apparently it was very funny, but very adult as well. It wasn't remotely as innocent as I Love Lucy. It includes a sexy nurse called Hot Lips. <laughs> Characters who are not married to each other have sexual liaisons. Shock horror. There's a corporal called Klinger 
who constantly dresses as a woman to try to get a psychiatric discharge. <laughs> One of Klinger's lines is, I gave up being an atheist for Lent. <laughs> when Klinger gets engaged, he suggests to his fiance that on the wedding day, she can wear the wedding dress he himself wore earlier as part of his attempts to get discharged. All of this was a very far cry from rosaries and novenas. On a number of nights, we daringly crept into the sitting room and watched MASH from under the sofa. We felt like spies, witnessing a forbidden adult world. We knew that this was our parents' quiet time together without their children. The sitting room was their domain, their territory, and we were illicitly gaining access to it. We felt like this was the Starship Enterprise bridge and we were stowaways. The fact that we'd be in huge trouble if we were caught added to our sense of excitement. Inevitably, on the third instance of our late night missions, I couldn't stop myself laughing out loud at a funny scene in MASH and our secret was revealed. Our parents whisked us out from under the sofa. But instead of condemning our skullduggery, they laughed and welcomed us into the room. My father said, that's gas. You're obviously dying to see MASH, so sit up there now and have a look. My mother agreed as well, saying, sure, what harm? We couldn't believe our luck. It was a fantastic feeling to be welcomed and told that it was okay to watch the show. Looking back, it's one of the happiest memories of my childhood. Uncle John would not have approved. But on that night, we realized that rosaries and novenas could be beaten by mash. <laughs>
When I was about to start primary school, my parents moved to a slightly ramshackle Victorian house with big bay windows and a decent garden. Our new bedroom had bright green jungle print curtains and my brother Paul won the battle for top bunk. I could push one side of the mattress up beneath him through the bed slats and tip him over and he'd retaliate by threatening to pee on me during the night. Becoming kindred spirits was inevitable when my best friend and I met in preschool. In a world of Fiona's and Jenny's, I was Gida, named after a feisty princess in Norse legend. And she was Heloise, named after a French nun who'd had a doomed love affair with Abelard, resulting in one illegitimate son and one castration. And our mums were different from the other mums. Mine wore hippie sandals and never a scrap of makeup. She didn't let us have sweets and we didn't own a television until I was 15 and hers was quite literally an exiled Swiss countess and that sounds like I'm making it up but Anne-Marie de Portalis really did flee the family chateau just ahead of the Nazis with all they could salvage in a cart so we were pretty exotic. They lived in Garden Cottage surrounded by woods with amazing trees for den building a burn to paddle in and a heady carpet of bluebells in the spring. She had a pony, Jasper, the elderly black Labrador, kittens in a basket beside the aga and an old barn stacked with hay bales that we climbed on until our sneezing and itching drove us out. The smell of warm hay and dust would linger on our skin all afternoon. Heloise was the pretty one with creamy white skin, a cute little nose that was much sweeter than mine and ice blue eyes she inherited from her dad, George, a quiet man who often seemed overshadowed by his wife. I was terrified of Heloise's mum. She was statuesque, straightforward and incredibly un-Scottish. Once she asked me what I wanted to drink and I was so scared that I couldn't bring to mind a single liquid that a human being might ever drink. And she stared at me as you would a newly discovered species of some sort and just waited until I managed to stammer out, water's fine. And she once told my mum, Janice, you are looking very strong around the middle. And we all knew she meant fat. One of the benefits of my exotic friend, apart from the ponies and the tree houses was the food. We were pretty much meat and two veg kind of people in, in Glasgow in the 80s. Spaghetti bolognese or curry had yet to break through. But Anne-Marie cooked amazing things like schnitzel and potato salad with gherkins and fat German sausages full of spices. Every meal ended with a big bowl of green salad dressed with their family secret recipe vinaigrette. And when I got married, Heloise gave me a salad bowl and the recipe sealed in an envelope marked top secret. And if you ever come for dinner, you'll get to taste it. The other benefit uh, was parties at the Glasgow branch of the Swiss Club. A group of Swiss folk living in Glasgow, getting together to share food and stories. And I suppose a lot of them like Anne-Marie had maybe come here during the war or afterwards. And like all displaced people speaking your own language and eating your national food together was a bam. And for me, it meant getting to borrow one of Heloise's lovely white blouses with the bright embroidery on the front and staying up late at a party where the grown-ups drank wine and ate the most miraculous of foods this Scottish girl could imagine, fondue. Was there any more amazing dish for a kid who loved cheese, 
and a bubbling molten vat of the stuff with tiny little Poseidon-esque tridents to dip sausage and chunks of bread in. The sting of the red hot cheese catching the edge of your lip, the alcohol burn of the kirsch, the cheers round the table when your bread dropped into the pot, I had never felt so sophisticated. It was almost going home time at one of the fondue parties when the words which caused my wound were spoken. The, the words, the wound which is now my scar. Heloise and I were full-bellied and sleepy at the kids' end of the table with some little girls of preschool age giggling away beside us. And at the other end of the table, the grown-ups were pushing their chairs back and pouring another glass of wine as the candles burned down. Suddenly, one of the wee girls, all pigtails and spite, tilted her head in my direction and narrowed her eyes. And I smiled benignly and waited for her to speak. Why are you so ugly? She asked. Now, she had neither a stick nor a stone, but she might as well have had. The weight of her words was like a blow to the stomach and I lost my breath completely winded. And I could cry now at the memory, but there were no tears in the moment because I knew she was right, because kids are notoriously honest, aren't they? And despite my pretty borrowed blouse, she was confirming exactly what I knew. My freckly nose was too long and too pointy, not a cute button at all. My eyebrows were bushy, my hair was frizzy, and the orthodontic work which would straighten out my snaggle teeth wouldn't begin for another couple of years. I had the beginnings of acne, my chin was too small, and my eyes were nowhere near as blue as Heloise's. I was ugly. Now bear in mind those messages that teenage girls hear even back in the 80s, the most important thing gleaned from every movie and every teenage magazine we saw, not to mention insidious church teaching about a woman's place and value in the world was to be winsome and attractive. And in all the books I loved, beauty was the secret of significance. Galadriel's power was in being as beautiful and terrible as the dawn. Susan was the pretty one of the Pevensey kids and even Meg Murray in A Wrinkle in Time, who I adored for her cleverness and power, turned out to be secretly gorgeous when she took off her glasses and I've never quite forgiven Madeline Lingle for that betrayal. So the converse was true. Being ugly meant that you were insignificant, which meant unlovable, which meant invisible, alone and worthless. That's a wee bit dramatic, I know, but I was quite a sensitive teenager. I wonder what that little girl went home and did. I suspect she thought nothing of it at all. Tucked up in her, in her bed in her floral PJs with kisses on her forehead flavoured with wine and schnapps, but I went home and cried. And in the red covered notebook I hid under my mattress, I wrote that I was so ugly that I wanted to die. And I wish that the end of the story was that I transformed from ugly duckling into a swan, like some kind of rom-com montage, or that I grew a thick skin, or that my self-esteem held me afloat over the teenage years to come, but that would be a lie. I wish that the end of the story was that I realised the very next morning that what your face looks like is about the least interesting thing about most people, and that they're incredibly beautiful, ugly people and incredibly ugly, beautiful people walking around on this planet. I wish that the end of the story was that that wee girl was horrifically maimed in a freak accident involving a crashed circus truck and an escaped tiger and had to wear a balaclava for the rest of her life 
to avoid screams of horror from passersby. <laughs> I'm only joking, sort of. Um, but here is the real way the wound turned into a scar. Days and months and years passed. Until now I'm 44. And now I look in the mirror and these bloody endless Zoom screens and I see a face that I kind of like. I like that the wrinkles at the side of my eyes tell stories of late nights and laughing till I've cried. I like that my lips, though not fashionably pouty, have kissed baby's toes and friend's cheeks and the peace-loving beardy guy I share my life with. I like that my freckles have been gathered on beaches on Scottish islands and I like that the kids named the weird mole in front of my left ear Bob. I like that I've had the grace of living long enough to realise that whatever my face looks like, it is all a gift. And it's all beautiful, even the scars. Oh, Gita, I miss your stories. And you can see Gita telling that story and others on our YouTube channel. Most of our Zoom stories are there. And by the way, you'll see how gorgeous Gita is. Plus, she's a doctor and an amazing storyteller. Thank you, Gita. And that is it for this podcast. And I'm going to take a short break for a few weeks as I go on some travels. We love to hear from you and you can stay in touch with us on social media, email or via our website, which, as I said, is 10by9.com. Keep an eye out for upcoming events and themes and tell as many people as you can about the podcast. Recommendation is the best way to get noticed. I'm Paul Dorn and I'll be back with another podcast soon. For now, bye bye. <laughs>